Welcome back to the podcast. What is happening? How are you? Good, I hope. Um, doing well on this Thursday morning that this will be released. Um, lots of exciting things going on. Change is happening. If you follow me on social media, you'll have seen my announcement that I've moved the podcast over to Substack and that I'll also be doing fortnightly essays, mainly using philosophy as a kind of martial art for the mind, looking at like ancient Stoic techniques for thinking better, for perceiving better, to help you feel better. Um, Because that's the end point of all of this really is that feeling good about life, less stressed, more success, and being able to appreciate stuff rather than feeling absolutely fraught as it is very easy to do these days because everything's pretty crazy. But Sherlock, listen, at the end of the day, it's night. That is neither here nor there. This podcast, I am joined by Mitya Chernko. Uh, Mitya is a good friend, a psychologist, and the co-founder of the Trainers Forum, a European forum and conference company that brings trainers together basically to educate them and to help make them more effective coaches and trainers. Uh, in this podcast, which is the first of a four-part series by Looks Things, because we just keep going, <laughs> there's just more and more to discover. We're looking at the central question, which is what is personal development? Personal development has exploded in popularity. It's almost now a commandment that if you're not developing yourself, you're not a good person or you're not you know, somebody of quality. And there's all of these crazy industries from fitness to self-help to you know, quasi-religious cult. Um, and the question is, you know, what is it? <laughs> what is the science of personal development? What is the, what are we referring to? What is the personal? What is developing? Um, and in this first episode, we're rooting around in there, looking at personality theory, the biological aspects, the sociological aspects, and where human agency lies, what it is that we actually have control over. And then building it out in future episodes to kind of encompass actual techniques and processes and to give you some insights and inspiration for your personal development. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to stay in touch and you want to get the essays, the link to the Substack is in the description. Um, you can just drop your email in there. You'll get an email every week, two essays, two podcasts a month, and it'll be high quality stuff. Um, I'm very excited about this bringing together a lot of the things I've learned and have been learning to produce something really useful for people um, on a weekly basis. So without further ado, here's the podcast. Whoa. Welcome to the podcast, Mitya. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Um, I wonder, yeah, I mean, just obviously we've been hanging out quite a bit for the last while. Um, could you introduce yourself to people a little bit and then maybe we'll get into the question and what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, sure. Uh, formally, I'm a psychologist. I'm a, uh, I have a bachelor's so far and for the past five-ish years, I've been conducting a labor of love with my dissertation and it's just deepening and it doesn't want to let me go. So I'm, I'm very much focused on stuff around 
psychological well-being, uh, personal development, psychological flexibility. I've developed a model that I called attuned sovereignty. Um, it's trying to kind of dovetail and synth synthesize a lot of what's happening in the whole kind of John Verveke, um, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Hall, like all of this intellectual deep web, dark web, whatever we want to call it. Um, yeah, I'm also, <laughs> I've co-founded a bunch of organizations, uh, some of them very young and mostly as cases of what not to do. <laughs> some of them that, that already kind of are quite established are a local one, which is the Institute for Applied Sciences in Maribor, which is where I conduct most of my career-wise projects. Um, I'm involved through that domain with a research project um, as a consultant on basically supporting a program that has six schools involved, three in Lithuania, three in Estonia, and trying to design and pilot a whole school approach to basically figure out what's the minimum set of, I call it psychosocial capacities, so basically psychological and relational skills. So what's the smallest set that you could identify that has the biggest impact on individual well-being, nourishing relationships, and a healthy organizational culture? And it's my job to basically operationalize all of that figure out how to measure it uh, in 12, 14, whatever year old language in 45 minutes in a way that's relatively valid and reliable, <laughs> which is which is wow. a beautiful design constraint. It's incredible. Um, it, and it's a, mm -hmm. thank God it's a screening instrument because otherwise for each of those little skills, capacities, aspects of well-being, you have questionnaires that are 15, 20, maybe even 60 questions long. And we're really limited to 80 questions if you want to have 30 seconds for each, you know. Uh, so it's so that's that's something I'm up to. And the uh, kind of final, I think, relevant aspect of my life for life for this conversation is I'm a co-founder of Trainers Forum, which is a for-purpose enterprise, an aspiring one. Uh, it's it's a movement basically that we kind of inherited or stewarded that started in 2010, uh, and Right now, we're in the final stages of setting up a legal entity as an institute, which is probably going to be in Slovenia as well. Um, yeah, and then kind of do whatever we're doing right now, but on a higher level. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe mm. just a, a, like a very nutshell snapshot of what Trainers Forum is. It's yeah, basically yeah. a group of people that um, originated from the international student organization field. So there were engineers from BEST, there were psychologists from EFSA, there were pharmacists, doctors, pilots, geologists, uh, general ones like IJ, ESTEC, like a lot of different student organizations and they all had this shared challenge that every four years, everyone changes. <laughs> everyone changes and even every year, like people shift positions. So there was a very pressing need. If you want to stay alive and running and not keep repeating the same mistakes, you need to have some kind of a knowledge transfer, training, team building, whatever HR support system. So basically people who had the same kind of challenge, uh, they got together and then they just kind of compared notes, basically. They were kind of figuring out, how do you do this? Like, how do you have a training session? How do you train your trainers? How do you set up a training pool? How do you do cross-organizational collaboration and stuff like that? So long story short, um, we have this interdisciplinary community from pretty much every country in Europe, and we're expanding a bit more into other regions as well. Um, and the thing that kind of 
that's the overlap between all of it is this passion for learning, for education, for development. So it's I, I don't know how you would plan for this in any other way. So this is why it's really precious for me. And now we're trying to kind of, um, mm-hmm. basically the, the punchline, the thing we kind of found is the, the highest direction is to realize the future of learning in both senses of the word, right? Realize as in figure out what it actually looks yeah. like in different contexts and then start playing with it, start building it, right? And uh, the kind of the format we would love to see this, it's very aligned with Zach Stein, which we also had the pleasure to, to talk to very briefly to. Uh, basically, a decentralized peer learning network, like a global or at least like a continental to start with on the European level, network of local hubs, right? So to have local spaces where there can be kind of ambassadors, hosts, and they can kind of start tapping into the learning needs in the community the learning resources, and then basically mm. setting up a torrenting system in a way for the flow and exchange of knowledge. For learning. <laughs> like <Yeah>. lime <laughs> wire of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool, man. That is like, yeah. that's so, so convergent anyway with this conversation and with so many of the things I'm really interested in, um, particularly that aspect of learning. Because I suppose if you're going to set that up, I mean, there has to be, it's almost like making institutions in a way, like you'd be making institutions of learning, but in a way that's decentralized. So you can teach people and then they go off and teach people. And you have this almost like intergenerational kind of, uh, how would you describe it? Like the way I imagine that is almost like a community type thing where you have people teaching other people, but it may not be completely standardized, but you know, what holds it together, I suppose, is relevant to this topic. For people joining us anyway, um, I'm sure you have read on the thing whenever I post it, this is about what is personal development. Um, it might seem yeah. on the outside like a silly question, <laughs> like, duh, it's, you know, brushing your teeth or whatever, you know, going jogging once a week or whatever it is that you do. Um, but that underneath it is a lot of presuppositions um Mm -hmm. there's a lot of normative judgments about what's good and about what's bad and what we should do and what we shouldn't do um and so everybody kind of comes with their own flavor and we have Mm -hmm. a massive industry of personal development which Mm -hmm. is getting more and more technologically sophisticated you could argue that the technologies themselves are personal development devices because Mm -hmm. social media algorithms Mm -hmm push you in certain directions they encourage you to consume certain things to think certain ways um you could argue that that is a completely driving personal development for a lot of people so Mm -hmm. the problem of personal development is is big now i think um and, and there's a lot of people rushing to fill the educational void that has been left by the loss of traditional institutions so with all that me and micha are gonna figure it out um we're gonna get to the bottom of it hopefully <laughs> if we can um so yeah the, the in some preliminary th- our our lung our intellectual it, yeah. lung capacity right as far as we can dive <laughs> <laughs> yes that as as far as we can go i suppose we'll we'll see where we can get to um and so for you mate like any preliminary thoughts like when about personal development i mean for me there's obviously levels to it um you know, I'd like to maybe for this one to try and get as deep as we can on it. And then maybe we'll expand a bit out more into the micro routines, the habits, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But when we say personal, you know, what is the personal? What is it that where, you know, people are complicated? And I wonder, could we dig into that a little bit? 
yeah you've you've laid out a lot of different portals we could we could jump through <laughs> uh, yeah yeah like maybe the first oh. the first thing to kind of to, to start with the broadest context I can kind of imagine um, we're very much developmental beings like as human beings. Um, mm -hmm. Even more so, like I, I think it was. I for, I'm blanking on the sociologist who mentioned it, um, but he, he mentioned something along the lines that humans have two wombs. One is the biological one, and one is the social one. Um, especially the kind of the first three, four, whatever years, like when you get out, like that's we are born neotenous, meaning like our brains aren't fully developed. Uh, we're very much dependent on the social context we can't walk we can't you know defend ourselves feed ourselves so there is like humans develop <laughs> profoundly like we are very plastic we are maybe even by design like we are very evolvable very malleable to whatever context you put us in mm -hmm. so in that case we do have a very unique opportunity and capacity and to, to to develop and to choose which direction to develop in right so that's kind of what we're born into um, yeah, maybe then the, the next thing I would differentiate is, um, this kind of biologically driven development. Maybe let's call it the maturation of personality, like the conveyor belt of biology. Um, and then to a second degree, kind of the, the social institutions that you're embedded in, they kind of drive your development. Um, so if we kind of confine personality, like, for example, Colin DeYoung's uh, work uh, on his cybernetic Big Five theory to kind of frame personality as this very, let's say, genetically, biologically, neurologically based parameters of your whatever, if we consider the mind as a cybernetic system, like that develops, right, through, through adulthood, like there are certain stable shifts in personality, like being more conscientious, less uh, neurotic, more emotionally stable, stuff like that. So let's let's put that aside, right? There's people change as they grow. Um, so the thing that's left, I guess, is um, in this theory, um, cybernetic big five, there's a thing called character, right? So I, I think the best analogy I have is our immune system, right? We have this genetic basis for our immune system that most of us share if we're healthy, but then we have this open-ended evolutionary platform. So we have antibodies. And if you go <laughs> drinking, you know, unprocessed water somewhere in Asia and in Europe, you're going to develop a different set of antibodies, you know, based on whatever pathogens you're exposed to, right? So that's open-ended. And in the same way, character is this open-ended developmental kind of layering that you basically have on top of your personality, right? All of the the different goals that you've set for yourself hierarchically, all of the different skills, capacities, strategies, knowledge, whatever you can kind of boot on. So I think personal development is somewhere in that realm, right? Character development, technically speaking. Um, and maybe to add to add a, a third layer of it, um, our character develops like as we confront and kind of come to grips with with our life right and the circumstances the context we find ourselves in and like you mentioned this technologies and social media like our if we call it, it it's a bit controversial to talk about evolutionary processes on the level of the individual right because traditionally speaking it's something that happens in populations through sexual and, and natural selection but 
I think you could argue like Eva Yablonka and other people with this uh, four layers of evolution, like genetic, epigenetic, behavioral, and symbolic. You could argue that on the level of symbolic evolution, there is a certain evolutionary process that's happening in us as individuals. Like the best example I had is from the context of gaming. Like it's very trivial, but I think it gets the point across. So for example, there's this platformer game called Ninja 2.0 or whatever, and it's fiendishly hard. <laughs> so basically, when you get to a certain level, there's a certain kind of sequence of movements you need to train yourself to do to get to the end of it. And it's very finely timed to the microseconds, probably. Um, so what, what I experienced is like, as you get ingrained into a certain pattern of approaching the level, it gets harder and harder and harder to change. So I, I, I remember distinctly, there was this one moment when I had to let a certain media, a certain self, die. I, I, I was approaching the level in a certain way and I had to consciously let go of that, allow it to die, and then create a bunch of different variations of how to approach this level differently. And then one of those variations worked a bit better than the other. So I had to select that, that kind of uh, variation and then retain it as a basis for another layer, right? So you have this evolutionary process happening in us all the time, right? And we get we get conditioned, we get shaped by this. For example, if you if you meet a new person or if you move to a different city, you have a new group of friends, you start unconsciously or consciously figuring out what can I say, what will get people's approval, what will get raised eyebrows, right? And you get conditioned by people all the time. So for example, if you use social media, the things you post in there, if you want to maximize uh, traffic, if you want to maximize engagement, you get conditioned by what works and what doesn't. So I would I would like to delineate kind of this aspect of personal development that's kind of driven by other people, right? So other people, either intentionally or unintentionally, they shape us, right? So either if it's the media telling us what's right and what's wrong to think about, how we should think about stuff, uh, if it's our friends kind of uh, conditioning us what's cool, what's not cool, that develops us, like that influences our who we're becoming, our evolutionary process. So whatever remains is this very fragile, very difficult, very kind of uh, sacred in a way, domain which is our own influence on our own evolutionary journey, right? So figuring out, okay, who do I want to become? What kind of a person in terms of character strengths, virtues, habits, um, goals, lifestyles, environments we want to live in, possessions we want to have, languages we want to speak, whatever. Um, and can we then figure out ways to actually influence that evolutionary process and, you know, make it happen or at least move in that direction? And I think that's, that's like, as a term, I would label it evolutionary literacy. Basically, can you, are you aware and are you literate in, in the processes and in the techniques, strategies for how can you influence and guide? Guide might be a strong word because Ultimately, I don't believe we're really masters of our fate, you know, because we're, we're conditioned by and kind of, yeah, children of, of the zeitgeist and the context we live in. But can you set out a clear, coherent picture of who you want to be, how you want to live? And then can you navigate towards that, right? And can you kind mm -hmm. of identify and resist all of the temptations and all of the other people's quests that they're on? Other people's wishes for who you want, to, for who they want you to become. So that's that's what I would basically call personal development, like broadly.
I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Do you? That that was incredible. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it, that's gone through. Uh, I there was a, I was thinking about certain points at certain times, but it's just covered everything so well that um, I don't know if just on. I suppose the personality note is I I do I like the kind of the the difficulty there with the genetic and the social and that the personality change can can occur, but personality change isn't as common, I suppose, as we would think mm-hmm. that it is. Um. But I'd spoken to Colin DeYoung before, and the way he explained it to me was that you can change the character traits, and then that changes the personality traits over time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. in theory, yeah. like, if I'm you look happy, at personality as this, like, goal-directed... His, his mm, well. oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, what? I, I couldn't hear you there, Mitch. It was breaking up a little. I'm noticing a bit of a, a lag, but I wanted to mention that I'm really happy to hear mm. from Colin's uh, side as well, that yep. he, he mentioned that personality mm. can be kind of influenced and changed gradually that's very encouraging yeah 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 and that 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 seems to be a lot of what this is kind of about i mean depending on how you look at personality the cybernetic system thing in terms of that they're you know goals and that we have this kind of evolved nature in a sense as individuals that give us certain uh, patterns across time that will make th- certain things salient to us and other things less mm-hmm. salient to us but that it's nested inside this kind of embodied cognition that's evolved whereby you know we need to eat we need to drink water those mm-hmm. there are certain goals created by our evolved nature mm-hmm. but then there's also certain mm-hmm. goals because of our individual nature which is much more created mm-hmm. by say the interactions that we've had the people that are around us and that in some sense they kind of build on top of one another but can interact with each other as well retrospectively i suppose and Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying about personal development that i think it is that process of say going from one pole to another but the interesting thing there is that it's not definitive you know there there might not be an end Mm -hmm. point to it because like you have the ideal self but if if you're thinking about in terms Mm -hmm. of evolution it's evolution to a changing environment so the idea maybe of personal development as a linear process towards a fixed point that once you attain it, then it's done um, would kind of leave us with the question of like, what is the fixed point? Or what is the end point? Cause I mean, we die and then you don't really get the kind of crystallization. Or do we, well, maybe ontogenetically we live on, but yeah. Yeah. Like we, we do like mm-hmm. our, our bodies might pass away, but, um, our, our descendants live, mm. our cultures live, the organizations we start might live. Yes. And there is a legacy that can meaningfully be kind of laid out. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of mention that um, I think there mm-hmm. is value in having like as an approximate like Newtonian physics and Einsteinian physics, right? In certain contexts, I think it's very mm-hmm. useful to have this linear frame when you're focusing like on a very pragmatic part of your life. Like this is what I want to achieve and if you yep. if you manage to set up a frame like that, it can be incredibly engaging, right? And this is what gaming and gamification is all about. Like I, I still yep. cannot wrap mm-hmm. my head around how engaging, like arbitrary flashes and sounds on a square screen can be. <laughs> yeah. Like to anyone <laughs> who plays to like, a gamer or role playing games and Skyrim and stuff like that. I remember when I was young. Like it sucks you in this sense of purpose, this sense of kind of open-ended stuff, development. And I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm investing a considerable amount of time of setting up and hacking together structural structures like this in my personal life, especially if you have to yep. be relatively low mm-hmm. in conscientiousness and kind of stuff like that. 
I, I think you need systems like this to be able to kind of really like design a life and, and live it that that that's tailored to you and your values and, and goals and visions. Mm. Yeah, the gamification of these kind of very important like personal development systems, even in like Call of Duty where there's like ranking and you're competing against other people for better rewards Mm -hmm. that are more salient and, you know, golden guns, which are really shiny compared to the other guns. (laughs) All these kind of really primitive things, but we think are super cool. It works (laughs) Um, people. It works people. um, But yeah, I suppose, so on the, in terms of the, character traits and the development of character traits that's something that's very much internal i I was talking to a stoic guy dr john sellers last night actually i had him on the podcast and talking a lot about Mm. stoicism and their kind of idea of like the dichotomy of control what's under your control is Mm. your character your attitudes your beliefs your actions and then everything else is kind of you know you can influence it to a certain extent but the outcome isn't under your control and there's an element of that i think that applies to agency for human beings like Mm -hmm. in personal development is it always aimed at what you have agency under and then is there this kind of arena agent relationship that you know is it for personal development to occur obviously it requires an environment that you can interact with but Mm -hmm. is it should it be described in the first person or in the third person i mean are we we're trying to do a third-person description, I suppose, of personal development, but the way we develop personally is a first—it's a first-player game. It's Call of Duty, like um, it's mm-hmm. in the—it's from in here. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, is there is there a conflict between that first person and third person? I would say that um, often there is, and as long as there's conflict, like true progress. And true kind of growth and development, I think, is very difficult because you're basically swimming upstream. Like for, for me, what I translate that into is um, contextual behavioral science, for example, is all about context. It has it in the name, contextual <laughs> behavioral science. I'm, by the way, just as a side note, in case this gets to any any kind of thought leaders in this community, I've I've seen surprisingly little overlap between contextual behavioral science with things like ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy slash training. Um, yeah, relational frame theory, like multi-level, multi-dimensional evolutionary science, process-based therapy, stuff like that, and and this whole realm. I, I think it's very convergent, and I would I would hand it to the contextual behavioral science community that they have really done their groundwork. Like they did the laboratory studies, they did the kind of animal model stuff. I, I mean, they're still developing it, and it's gonna be a very very intense process to kind of fully hook it up to like the human level but um they basically what 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 they want to point out with the context is that we are very 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 much contextual beings um and there's this i think dynamic interplay between the fact that you always start from wherever you are like that's the only thing you have agency over that's the whole point of sovereignty i think being a, being well rooted and well well aware of your sphere of influence of your capacities, um, of your environment, of your sensual input and kind of uh, motor outputs. Like for me, that's the whole sovereignty thing, right? And I think Jordan Hall also maps it with these three kind of um, yeah uh, domains. The the thing that I, I 
And this is, I think, very, very closely aligned to the whole psychological flexibility model that contextual behavioral science kind of developed. Like, what are the core capacities that you need to be to be sovereign? Like, I think that's. I would I would be curious what what the developers of that model would say. Like, if if they would find sovereignty a fitting term for or a synonym for psychological flexibility. The thing I would I would add to that is this attuned part, right? Attuned sovereignty, because it's all very personal, like your your sphere of influence, your capacities, your your perceptions. But I think often, if taken to extreme, stoicism can come off as harsh and kind of uh, a bit alienated from other people and and kind of self-centered. Solipsistic. Like I mentioned, it's it's not it's mm. not its primary goal. Like the, the the attuned part for me is really how can you then extend these capacities into the relational domain, right? First of all, one-on-one and then in a group setting. So that's the first person description, right? All of this, the capacities. Mm. I really love the term capacity, mm. basically, and taking it as, a, as an mm. analogy from biological systems. Like most muscles we have have um, flexors and extenders, right? And you need, it's all about this opponent processing that Verveke also mentions often. And I think in the same mm. way, like there is, yep. there are certain psychological processes that have this flexor, extender, contraction, expansion, whatever you want to call it, um, poles, stability, plasticity, whatever, exploration, you know, exploitation. And being aware of those, like when you when you sit in a car for the first time, like there's a bunch of buttons, bunch of different knobs and wheels and whatever, um, and just coming to grips with that, right, internally, like what are the different psychological processes? Cognitive Fusion, right? How can I really step into a thought and believe it and take it seriously as in serious play? And then how can I let go? How can I be playful with my thoughts and remind myself it's just a thought about stuff? It's not the thing, right? So there's a bunch of different processes and mastering that, I think, is this first person, basically, um, part Mm. of personal development. The contextual thing is... Um, they, they go pretty radical, I think, in contextual behavioral science and basically point out that it's it's like, I think the best visual metaphor for this would be this kind of donut. If you imagine this donut that kind of has a point in the center that, that it meets. And mm-hmm. if you manage, imagine a flow, like it starts in the middle, it flows out, that's mm-hmm. your actions, your influence, whatever you do. And then all mm-hmm. of your actions kind of blend with the actions of everything around you, right? Everything behaves, like like uh, Henriquez mentioned, right? Physical behavior, biological, you know, ecological, climate behavior, behavior of other people, of institutions. Mm-hmm. And then all of that melts together and then comes back to you as influence from your environment, right? And that process is unfolding yeah. all of the time. And we're being shaped mm-hmm. by this process. The thing is, I think as humans, we have this inner loop. <laughs> we have this inner loop that's kind of happening inside us that we have a greater deg- degree of influence on. And that allows us to basically position ourselves in our environment. So basically we have a bit more influence and control, let's say, over, okay, who will I spend time with? How will I set up my physical environment? What links will I click and what information will I expose myself to, right? How will I direct my body through space and time through certain activities so I can, for example, develop muscle or develop fine skills with painting or whatever, so we're still being shaped by the context all of the time, but as humans, I think we have a finer degree of control over setting up our context, right? And I think just to wrap up this, mm-hmm. this thought, I think this is the whole point of evolution. Mm-hmm. And as humans, I think 
way back when, <laughs> when we domesticated other animals and crops and stuff like that, basically what we did is we figured out how to do evolutionary management. And we figured out, okay, if I set up a certain kind of a context, and if I keep selecting for something, I can turn a banana. I don't know if you saw pictures of that, the primordial bananas, which were small and they weren't sweet at all. You know? <laughs> they suck. Or like if you take a wolf and then you take a shih tzu, right, as a breed. Like yeah. we know how to do that process. And what happened eventually is we got stuck inside those loops, right, first as castes. So mm. certain people, call them priests, call them whatever, they said, okay, we're going to selectively breed people that are going to be warriors, that are going to be uh, scholars, that are going to be craftsmen, whatever. Mm. And we kind of specialized and directed the evolution of human beings into certain things. But now what's happening is like through smartphones, through, for example, artificial light, through sedentary lifestyles, through processed foods, like we're creating evolutionary mismatches. We're creating evolutionary traps for ourselves that are like mm. the example of, of I, don't, I forget the beetle in Australia. But the, the females of the beetle are big, brown, bumpy, and shiny. And the bigger, the browner, the bumpier, the more horny, <laughs> basically, the, the males get. And what happened in Australia is when people throw away beer bottles, who also happen to be big, brown, bumpy, and shiny, like glass ones, and also when they rust, the, the male beetles just go there and they hump the beer bottles all day long. And they forget the females. So they're in a very, very tight evolutionary mismatch and they could go extinct. And the same thing can happen for humans, right? Because we have salient kind of and, and tasty, you know, conditioning for fat, for salt, for sugar. When we get that in absurd quantities where we didn't have that in our evolutionary past, we just get stuck to that exactly like the beetle, right? And I think that the, the, the time that we're living in, is it's just a time of evolutionary traps all over the place. And I think it's really important mm. to be mindful for yourself as a person and your loved ones. Can you navigate through that? Can you spot evolutionary traps and mismatches and steer clear from them, even though your entire body and mind will be drawn to it, right? Like status on, on social mm. media, like wealth in terms of money, food in terms of whatever, comfort in terms of sitting. Like, it's very tempting, but I, mm. I think whoever is going to come out the other side well, or at least not damaged, are people who are going to be able to do stuff like that. That's exactly what, I mean, exactly why I think this topic is important, because of that developmental mismatch, where you have so much need for us to, I suppose, to evolve our nature, but so little input of how to do it. You know, that a lot of the social yeah. institutions that were you know, have taken responsibility in essence for human beings developing themselves since we've come away from a complex environment that put certain constraints on us. We had needs to meet. We had a certain, we had more obstacles, I suppose, in a, a sense that the obstacles were just there and the obstacles were the developmental teachers that we had to improve ourselves. Mm -hmm. But now taking away those obstacles and living in a mostly contrived environment that consists of, I mean, the internet is completely contrived. It's it's completely made by other people. Um, it's not like there's no nature there except for the nature through the people. But this, this selective breeding of people, but then not finishing the job in a sense, not having like this ultimate, you know, saying like, oh, this is what people should be. And this is why personal development is such a deep topic because for me, this ties back to religion as well. I mean, I think the point of, say, Christianity is that they say, you know, we should all try and be like Jesus. 
you know, you should, Mm -hmm. he's the ideal, you should emulate that process in a deeply symbolic and, you know, complicated way. But that personal development for them is that, (laughs) like, that's the kind of, that's the, he's he's the meter, the the meter stick in a sense. But then you have a secular society that's turned away from those kind of spiritual traditions and we don't really have a meter stick in a sense, but we deeply need that kind of guidance. And then I think you have the apps and social media, which take advantage of it to have this hyper celebrity culture of popularity of people that get put in that place of uh, mm-hmm. fulfilling that need that people have. Mm-hmm. But that that's why this, this individual feedback loop of personal development is having these massive consequences. So I think there's something there's something really to be said on the individual level of our own personal development, changing the personal development landscape through the transformation yeah. of your own salience landscape. Yeah, I agree completely. Like that's that's the only point you can start with, and you're always stuck with yourself, like wherever you are. But like just to be to to kind of yeah, I think we're we're preaching to the choir. We're talking about the same thing. But the the reason you and me are mm-hmm. involved in personal development, there's a whole context, our history, our upbringing, mm. certain privileges in terms of the luxury of time, our being able to spend stuff, or... access to stuff. So there's there's like yep. we did have a context that was conducive to this and that kind of sparked this desire mm-hmm. in us, right? And I think there is this kind of black and white yin and yang, you know, responsibility of yes. Ultimately, this locus does lie with the individual, but it is kind of on the shoulders of people who are kind of bootstrapped well enough to then try to kind of create context. I think Forrest Landry really has this kind of articulated well, that love is that which enables choice or something like that. Like not to not for us mm. who have the privilege to kind of decide, okay, this is the ideal form of what it means to be human. Even though, like, mm-hmm. people have thought about this for millennia, and take it as an example, like, Christianity has its model or whatever, like, it's a bold claim to basically say, like, there is one archetype, one prototype of what's the best human, and all of us should aspire to be that kind of a human. Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe that's true. Like, I, I, I would, it would need to be a very plastic individual, a very paradoxical individual, a very... Yeah, basically mm. a repository of all of the possible virtues, you know, and whatever. But um, yeah, well, there's like, there's there's I, an interesting I, I, word. I, I Sorry, I just want to jump put... on that. Sure, sure, please. Sorry, just one sec. The the virtues topic. I mean, because I was talking to the guy um, John Sellers about it the other night, and the point that he made was, uh, Colin de Young had said to me that you know values are just essentially goals. You know, to value courage is to set yourself certain types of goals. And that that virtue and what John Zeller pointed out was that it's also a habit in a sense, like there there are certain kinds of character traits and habits that you develop over time and that virtues. So like to have like wisdom, courage, temperance as virtues, justice Mm -hmm. indicates certain types of habits for you to have a character Mm -hmm. at the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's obviously a character transformation going on, but perhaps in those sense, the perfect stack of virtues, like the ultimate and a way of putting it together would be like an ideal personality. Like it it would be like, if you had the perfect habits, this is what you would be like. And we communicate them through the description of virtues. 
because it mm-hmm. we don't really have any other language um for that type of transformation um or our goals even like what's the most important goal of all mm-hmm. and every philosophy argues about it every religion argues about it but the goal state then would be the the emergent you know the character that you cultivate ultimately mm-hmm. um and so, yeah, the, right. on that topic of virtues, maybe, you know, we could go down that rabbit hole a little bit because it seems key to the changing of character mm-hmm. and personality, which apparently is what personal sure. development is. Yeah. Yeah. Like one, one thing that comes comes to mind immediately, immediately is, um, in a way, I would, I would, um, I would hope that this kind of personality structure, I, I think there's a measure of personality fluidity, right? So how stable do your personality traits seem to be? And I would say that what you're mentioning is moving in this direction of increasing your personality fluidity, right? To be able to basically mm-hmm. show up in certain cir- circumstances in the way that's kind of optimally fitting to that circumstance. So. I would, instead of saying, like, to have maxed out all of the personality traits, you know, whatever all <laughs> you choose, would basically be to be yeah. a bit, to be able to be fluid, right? And and to talk about stuff like mm. response styles, like, yeah, habits maybe, mm. yeah, I think to, to develop a set of habits that you can then activate in a contextually sensitive way, right? But for me, this kind of personality would be really this optimal balance between stability and plasticity and yeah, I think it's it's moving in that direction. And in terms of virtues, that's exactly kind of, um, what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Cut across. In here. terms of virtues, I'm um, I'm I'm still kind of baffled <laughs> a bit <laughs> that there isn't there isn't a higher degree of consensus in terms of the virtues. Like Seligman and his handbook mm. of character strengths and virtues, he did this mapping, you know. Um, but when, when you do it empirically, when you give that questionnaire out to people, you know, as long as you, you kind of rely on factor analysis and clustering and approaches like that, you don't really get the six virtues he kind of identified, right? You get three, you get four, you can then subdivide. Mm. I, I think there were interpersonal, intrapersonal, and then virtues of temperance and stuff like that. I think that's how they uh, often cluster. So, but for me, it's just mm. baffling that like there isn't a definite set of like human needs or human virtues or yeah, and and how it's related yeah. together. I think that's a very ripe field for for consolidation and yeah, hundred percent. And there's uh, yeah, that there's something so interesting. I it kind of jumps into like you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which was something that when I was just looking up personal development, kind of reading around it a bit was something that comes up all the time. Um, and his kind of the top of it being like self-actualization, like becoming who you could be in a sense. But what we're kind of saying here as well, I mean, I keep being aware of the lag. So it seems like we're interrupting each other, but we're actually not. Um, but Maslow, Maslow basically mentioned at the end of his year that he placed on the top self-transcendence as a need. So basically, there's mm. this paper I can I can share it or we can share it in the description or whatever, where he basically mentioned, yeah. okay, you get to this point where you've kind of developed your capacities, your potential, but then he mentioned that it seems like probabilistically speaking, people then transition into this kind of 
mode of they want to give themselves to the world. It's like you've developed yourself to be this amazing tool or amazing kind of machine or, or agent. And then what? You're going to sit in the garage? <laughs> no. Like you want to apply <laughs> yourself to the world, right? You want to go out there. You want to find a worthy cause. You want to be of service to people, right? So I, I really find if mm. you add that addition to Maslow, uh, the, this kind of widespread hierarchy, then it becomes something that makes sense for me. Then what's what's interesting is also Max Neve and his approach to kind of needs. Um, and then like the, the 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 his contribution that I like the most is about not the needs per se, but strategies to kind of address needs. And what mm-hmm. what he mentioned is there's this continuum from kind of pseudo-satisfiers to synergistic satisfiers. An example would be like if you have a need for thirst, you could drink coffee or Coca-Cola and it might be a pseudo-satisfier in that like your mouth will get, will get physically wet for a while and you might not feel as thirsty, but in the long run, it actually degrades the need, right? Similarly, it could be like if you have a need for love and intimacy and connection and you have one-night stands, mm-hmm. you might get this initial kind of pseudo satisfaction but then in the long term it might be actually degrading and on the others on the other side you basically have synergistic satisfiers and this is where religion might loop back in or spirituality at least and stuff like that where you can have one strategy that actually genuinely and deeply satisfies not just one need but multiple needs in the same time so an example would be like you could have a need for for sustenance like food for movement, like with dance, for connection, for growth, for authenticity, whatever you want to label as needs. And you could go off and satisfy each of them individually, or you could attend a festival, you know, or something where you can, <laughs> in, in the same time with some stuff, you can hit a bunch of different needs, right? So that's the contribution for Max Need that I really oh, yeah. appreciate. And okay, sure, there's mm. needs, but how you address them and how you satisfy them like actually matters. Yeah, and then not to mention, so as, as much long there. as we're talking about mm. need, we need to mention kind of self-determination theory and the three kind of needs of, um, yeah, of autonomy, competence, and, and connectedness, which I still, I did some digging. I don't know how they came to those three needs and felt that they're exhaustive. Because for me personally, coming from this nonviolent communication kind of uh, space as well, partly, they have lists of needs <laughs> that are like, arbitrarily long like they have a lot of needs and it feels like those three needs it might be a bit restrictive but for example then Stephen Hayes expands on those three needs with the hexaflex model with this kind of psychological flexibility I keep mentioning and adds three needs for kind of for sensation to feel right to be alive to kind of sense stuff fully uh, for orientation to kind of know where to direct your attention kind of uh, yeah how to kind of orient yourself in the world and for coherence as well, which is like, I, th- I think this is, if, if you look at meaning, like as, as a need, it breaks down into this kind of sense of coherence, sense of significance, and this kind of uh, sense of direction and purpose in life. So that's, that's basically what I'm, what I'm up well. to in this questionnaire that I mentioned in the beginning. Like I'm trying to map out all of this. And as far as my brain can take it to create a synthesis, in a very small, very pragmatic screening kind of instrument for people to have this this check. And this is basically what I what I came down to. Like you mentioned Maslow, Max Neef, uh, self-determination theory, mm. and then maybe stuff from, from nonviolent communication in terms of needs. But yeah, like to, to bring it mm. yeah, back and to loop mm. it back to personal development, 
I think why needs are foundational and important are for people to be in touch with their needs and to be able to differentiate them from wants. I think that's super important because a want mm. is basically unsatisfiable. Like a want is something you can kind of temporarily get close to and then it kind of it lessens its kind of nagging, but it never goes away. Like with needs, in a way, you could say it's the same. Like you never drink enough water, so you're not, never thirsty again in life. <laughs> but yeah, like there's the there's a thing with wants and needs that's that's kind of um, yeah, I think important to differentiate. Hmm. Yeah, and there's, I mean, to kind of to go back to Maslow, I thought what you said, I mean that. The self. What I was going to say about the self. Um, what what was it again? The becoming who you could be in a sense that that ties in much better with self transcendence because mm-hmm. your yeah exactly self actualization because again it's the fixed point that you reach that you think is perfect could be massively unadapted for the environment that you're in. Um, so this fluidity of personality of being able to be on time to have this kind of a sense of, you know, appropriateness for the circumstances that you're in um, seems to be more important than just one fixed kind of mm-hmm. ideal of mm-hmm. something that's like mm-hmm. you you hit the target and that's it. Yeah. Um, because in some sense, it's a moving target. Um, and so it requires this that flexibility that almost the word development in my mind is a bit misleading there, that it's mm-hmm. it's more like adaptation and optimal gripping. Mm-hmm on the the circumstances um and yeah on needs and wants i mean those the the needs then are very much the the needs are very contextual as well i mean there are certain what perennial needs that we have to do in order to survive to reproduce if you're interested in that sort of thing but um the 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 wants then that come into it are could be more circumscribed to the the social situation but I guess, yeah. Do you do you think that that's convergent in that development could be kind of misleading there, to that it leads us to a sense of, um, almost like a, you get to a platform and that's it, or you get to a certain personality and there's a resting place or something, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that it's it's more like a a a dance in the sense that there's these opposing, there's an antagonist and a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but both are necessary for the story to kind of unfold. Um, maybe I'm using too many metaphors, but um, that that yeah, is, is something I sure. think is very important here when we're talking about personality and changing personalities. That the best, if your personality is working, I suppose, in a very bland sense, it it's optimally gripping to the environment that you're in. You know, you're you're fitted to it. So therefore, the perfect thing would be the person that can be can integrate themselves into situations, but then the ability to integrate yourself into every situation could have, you know, means you're more of a generalist than a specialist. Mm-hmm. So is, is that what we're arguing for? Is that the, the model? Um, or would there be advantages to being an extreme specialist? Yeah. Like I, maybe a few, a few kind of points <clears throat> to, kind of try to unpack them a bit deeper. Mm. Um, This sense of development and developing too, right? I I think it's really important to not treat ourselves as kind of 
showcases and trophies and projects we work on, right? And then we get to this perfect state and then we just kind of dust off the car and polish it and kind of try to keep it as is, right? You could get to that level. I think kind of profound personal development. And I think Jung was kind of opening a door to that direction that involves the mm. shadow, right? That development involves mm. the development of your ideal, right? So it's not like your ideal is static and you just develop towards it. But as you're on this process, Whoa. your ideal develops as well, right? So it's, I think it's really mm. important not to kind of, and this is where levels come in and integral theory, for example, is very much uh, focused on this, like not to just keep developing certain lines or certain domains of our being and neglect others, right? So I think that's that's mm-hmm. important to kind of have this sense of development. Then the, the, the next kind of distinction mm-hmm. you mentioned was the development and adaptation. I think both, both mm. need to happen, right? <laughs> you, you like yeah. adaptation is, I think it's, it's a survival imperative. Like if you do not, failure to adapt basically means death. <laughs> like if you cannot adapt to the situation, like you're gonna, you're gonna encounter pressures and forces and, and, living conditions that are kind of not suitable for your existence, basically. Either they're going to nag away at you slowly and chip away and you're going to wither, or, yeah, you're, you're just going to find yourself kind of in, in the middle of a massive stream or torrent that's just going to sweep you away. But on the other side, I think there is there is value in people choosing not to adapt, right? Krishnamurti, for example, said, it's not a measure of health to be well adapted to a sick society. Right? So I think there is value in staying stubborn. There is value in kind of maybe as an analogy to a seed bank, right? If you are able to kind of stay in touch with ancestral virtues and kind of ways of life and whatever. And again, it's tremendously difficult to tease apart. Like, are you just being old fashioned? Are you being, you know, whatever. But there is value in, in not adapting, right? And then being either as an individual or as a collective kind of an anchor for stuff to adapt around you, right? Um, and in terms of development, I think there are capacities humans have, right? There are, there are capacities in how you can linguistically articulate yourself, how much stamina you have, how how deeply can you relate to other people, how vulnerable you can be, like all of the different virtues, how how broadly, like in yoga, right? In yoga, I cannot touch. I, it's very hard for me to touch my toes for whatever reason, right? But I keep pushing at it, right? And in the same way, like you could imagine there is this stretching of your horizons of your consciousness of how many, how many people can you consider as part of yourself, right? Like this Buddhist loving kindness process, right? Can you consider your partner as part of you and care for them as you would for yourself? Can you consider your neighbor, your, your family, your other animals, right? Other beings. So there is this stretching, there is this development that happens, right? along different lines. So um, I think both are important. Uh, and the final thing I think you mentioned, um, yeah, feel free to <laughs> plug in or, or mention if there's any direction. No, no, like go to... ahead. I, I'm, I'm still kind of ruminating on that. But the yeah, the, the definitely something that stuck out there that I wrote down was the, you know, the development of skills and capacities that you're saying, like you can become obviously better at something. Like it's, that's, that's kind of a given that we can do that. But I guess the in the big picture kind of personal development of a person's life, um, is there a way to become really good at living? <laughs> like, is is that what personal development is about on the big picture kind of looking down on it? Like almost um like if you're 
a meta skill set, I suppose, of the yeah, ability to yeah, transform sure. your personality in context. Um, and that maybe that's, yeah, that that's what's been kind of, um, that that's what people are playing around with. It was interesting that you mentioned Jung. I've been reading uh, Psychology and Alchemy just mm. no idea why but uh, i just i just can't put i just can't put it down for some reason i just keep yeah. i keep i tried to stop reading it and i can't but um it's so inter- like the the alignment like i've no fucking idea what alchemy is on about it's really like it's so fascinating but i think that's also about personal development i mean the way young took it was that that's a metaphor essentially for human transformation for this process of individuation that we go on they were projecting on physical things, their psychic contents and trying to act out this process that changes them. Um, but the alchemists kind of recorded this in millions of ways. Their words don't accord on anything. Their concepts don't line up. But at the same time, they were all doing kind of the same thing. Um, and I wonder, is is personal development a bit like that, that it's going to be everybody's sure. getting a different brand <laughs> of it? But um, we have, uh, you know, there is... You know, is personal development the 21st century alchemy? Like, is that what we're, we're all trying to yeah. find out the, the lapis or the, the philosopher's stone, in a sense? Let's not forget that alchemy actually, like, we did figure out a way to make lead into gold. It just took a longer, and we needed particle accelerators yeah. to fuse atoms together. Like, alchemy <laughs> did mature. And it's really like, expensive. Alchemy did mature, and we have... Like we're, mm. I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who mentioned this, every sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? We're, we, we've instituted wizards. We've instituted alchemists. Mm. We've tightened up the alchemy cookbooks in ways that people can learn. And, you know, we have insane yeah. wizardry allow, around us, making night mm. into day, you know, just treating all kinds of chemicals yeah. from, like, from medicine to, every, to, to this, this portal, you know, so we can, with the speed of light, communicate all over, you know, the world. It's like we forgot that alchemy didn't stop; like it just exploded, <laughs> exploded, and people kind of got, got used better. to it, right? Yeah. So I, I yep, and yep. I think, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, yeah, think about kind of our listeners and and what's the value, like what's the what's the kind of, uh, I don't know catchphrase or what's the kind of next step what's the what's the nugget of wisdom that could be kind of gleaned from all of this and for me it it comes down to one of the kind of adventures i feel being drawn to which is trying to figure out what would be in the launch box with the label of psychological literacy i I really think that the concept of literacy is really fitting here like we we forget how soon evolutionarily speaking how how soon this kind of or how close the world was where people did not know how to read and write or do kind of math or stuff like that and there was this elite group of people whose whole sole purpose in life was to read and write and their whole careers and prestige and authority and power and wealth was dependent on other people not knowing that right and somehow through a process of literacy through a process of people descending down from that position, consciously picking a fight with their whole, you know, guild or whatever kind of uh, class of people, and then going out and figuring out a way to kind of... I, I, I think it's very a very good analogy would be tectonic processes. 
like you have pressure building up in terms of this capacity gap. I think Zach Stein will plug in right here, like with this teacher, the authority, right? There's this differential of capacity that happens. People, for example, right now that know machine learning, that know coding, that have certain capacities, like they can outrun us in circles in terms of investing or like market analysis or whatever, or social media and stuff like that. And I think what happens is there's this constantly, there's this gap growing between people and their capacities. And if this gap does not close, which is this tectonic kind of shift where people need to descend down from that kind of realm and start bringing people back up, right? And just face all of that pressure and backlash and threats and whatever to, to themselves and their, their loved ones while they're doing it. But I think that's that movement, that kind of starting waves of literacy and people who have certain capacities choosing not to exploit others, not to cash it out, but actually kind of spreading it to people and equalizing the playing field, that is the process that keeps us together as a species. Like if, if that process stops, speciation happens. Like certain groups of people will then increasingly be different and more able, more capable, or at least more specialized. And, you know, just the difference, there's just drift that's going to happen. So I think what, for me, all of this comes down to is issuing this call for professionals in the field who are psychotherapists, who are kind of successful on their own terms, who are kind of proficient in how they operate their own cybernetic system and how they kind of relate with other people and set up contexts like accelerators, like schools, like whatever that are really good, right? And they keep their, they keep their recipe for the secret sauce secret, right? Because their school outperforms other schools and whatever. And I think we need to find a way and spark a movement of those people coming together and figuring out, okay, what's the essential, I think they call it behavioral kernels in contextual behavioral science. How far can you strip these psychotechnologies down? to the point where they no longer work and then reverse engineer it. So what's the bare bones minimum in terms of psychosocial technologies that we can then put in this kind of launch box and then include it into public education processes like in primary school and secondary school and basically have a subject called, you know, psychological or psychosocial literacy or kind of evolutionary science. So I don't know how we're going to call it. We need to call it something approachable and relatable. And then basically teach people and transfer the skills, like how can they shape and guide their own evolutionary process? And if that doesn't happen, we're basically going to end up in a world where it's going to be feudalism 2.0, where there's going to be people who know how this process unfolds and they're going to steer our evolutionary process to fit their own needs. So we're basically going to end up as human cattle, intentionally or unintentionally, right? Or the alternative is to actually boot up a democracy 2.0, where we have empowered individuals who can kind of see what's happening around them, they can notice different forms of influence, and they can choose and construct forms of influence that they want to be subjected to. Mm. Yes, that process, and that, that that's fundamentally an educational process, and I think that's what we're talking about, basically, is trying to figure out that, you know, if you can get that psychological literacy in a way that we can wrap our heads around then you can simplify it as much as possible without destroying it. And then in a sense, communicate it and teach it to people, you know, and that would be teaching personal development, I suppose, or teaching personal evolution in that way. And that yeah. that would be then something that you could in a sense, um, not necessarily centralize, but that you could have a curriculum for that you could distribute in educational networks, you know, 
in some sense you could have a schooling then of how to you know evolve yourself um and that that's kind of what's missing but like i guess the reason we haven't done that yet is because it's incredibly difficult to do and there's no shared kind of framework for it to plug into i mean you're talking about the the separation of different kind of guilds almost and you look at academia which is like where different subjects that are actually interrelated don't even touch ever <laughs> like they're they're looked at as completely separate spheres the body and the mind are looked at as separate spheres so the idea of having this hugely convergent educational endeavor for the betterment of people also requires a convergent epistemological movement that perhaps with the current kinds of prepositional situation we have isn't isn't possible on that level i i, I just wonder like why haven't we been able to do that yet like yeah. surely we've got the power i'm of not gods, really worried about all know. that to be honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the reason is yeah. i, I just think, think inevitably i think i think the the point is that um i think what we need is metrics like we need to conceptualize mm. metrics of what is it that we're optimizing for what is it that we're cultivating with people and figure out ways to kind of reliably measure that once we have that and this is why it's important for me like this is why i really devoted a part of my life to kind of data science and and psychometrics and sociometrics to basically hold myself accountable yeah that whenever i start <laughs> on this process of of figuring out and playing with this psychosocial technologies like am i moving in the right direction what is the right direction right so operationalizing defining measuring all of that and then we can have a free-for-all then we can just throw the kitchen sink at it and see what moves the needle right and for me for me mm. what's why i'm not worried about all of this is i see this happening i see a lot of process like a lot of development happening for example with experience sampling you know with smartphones to actually change smartphones into personal assistants that you kind of you program and you construct in a way that they cultivate and they encourage stuff with you that you actually care about and throughout the day they can ask you simple questions um you can put in biofeedback stuff, right? It's very easy to kind of wear certain wearables and sensors mm -hmm. that kind of keep track from your vagal tone to your uh, heart rate variability, breathing patterns, galvanic skill and response. That's very easy to set up. Like there's yeah. an initial investment, but you could have a continuous stream of data, right? And once you have all of that, I think why I'm also not worried about all of this because that already exists. It just needs to be synthesized together, which is um, what I'm partly working on as well. And I'm sure other people are as well. When someone sets up something that works marginally better than the current systems, I think that's going to be self-reinforcing. The people who go through this process will have a leverage. They'll, they're going to have an edge, you know, and they're going to they're going to appreciate and notice and make sense of the process they went through, and they're going to be grateful for it, and they're going to be they're going to want to share it with other people, right? And I think it starts like a self-reinforcing loop. So for me, it's just like, yes, sure, it's not inevitable that this is going to happen far from it there are like mm. threats and and forces pulling in different directions but for me it comes down to more how many people will need to succumb how many people will need to kind of get sucked down this spiral of reciprocal narrowing and into addiction and into mediocre lives of languishing and kind of thriving or suicide mm. at, at the extreme end um how many people are gonna kind of let their potential go to waste and just kind of sleepwalk through life you know for me that's that's what tear each up. other apart and, and that well that's you know? the other thing because <laughs> and there 
Yeah, I no. mean, missed development isn't just necessarily like, oh no, you missed the mark. Like it, it's pathology, really. Um, yeah. that was something I kind of noticed that like you become. I mean, if you're not fulfilling that potential, whatever that means, or pursuing it, you know, envy, jealousy, the politics of resentment, all of these things yeah, that are true. springing up from the nihilism, the substance abuse, um, those are all very real threats, and you wonder, is there a you know, a time where that becomes too much. And I, I'm an optimist, so I, I don't really think so. But um, I guess that's kind of the, the yeah, the, the, what's running on the opposite side of the race at the moment. And I wonder, I suppose, I think next time we should definitely, um, I think this, we've ended up, because I know we have the individual personal development level, but we've ended up nicely at the big picture thing, which is kind of where I, what what I was really hoping for. Um, which is like the the educational, you know, mm-hmm. system that's going to be necessary to teach psychological literacy for individuals to take on their evolutionary process themselves, to be competent in that process, and for them to be able to teach it to other people, for it to become cultural parlance, for it to become integrated into you know the body of knowledge that we pass on generationally. Um, and how that how that might play out, you know, is there a technological solution? Is there, you know, what theories are there that could tie into that? And um, maybe to hone in on that a little bit more, there was another thing actually: psychological literacy. You know, could that be wisdom? <laughs> a little bit. Like, is there? Yeah, why? Why are we? I mean, terms. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, what metrics are there for wisdom? I suppose is the yeah. <laughs> is the interesting one. But, um, there are there are yeah, there are attempts to operationalize it, and I remember Vivek you mentioned this uh, convergence yeah. kind of or conference where they did come very close to kind of a consensual definition, and there are questioners from it, and there are there are mm. ways you can measure it, especially if you add methodological triangulation. So it's not just you and self-report; it's other people as well, and there are some objective measures. I just wanted to kind of before we start wrapping up, I wanted to mention one thing when you mentioned kind of. You know, who's going to choose what is psychological literacy? Who's going to choose what we put in the water supply, right? And for me, what feels much safer is basically, and I think this is the kind of education I really appreciate, is creating safe spaces and resourced spaces where you can invite people and enable people to basically get in touch with a certain phenomenon. Right. So it's not like we're going to propagandize people and tell them this is how you evolve. This is how, you know, stuff happens. But to actually like if, if you want to teach someone about fire, it's like figure out a way to create a safe context where you, they can actually build a fire and then interact with it. Yeah. Right. And they learn from their experience and their kind of self-guided learning journeys. And for me, this is important. How can we create contexts where people can kind of, yeah, treat themselves as this masterpiece and just kind of have this arbitrary course of, okay, now figure out a ha- if you can start a habit of changing the way you kind of wipe yourself self with a towel after you get from, from the shower. You know, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up on the spot. Like, can you, like, what would be the curriculum to bring people in touch with whatever phenomenon we're talking about? Like, okay, your emotions, like, okay, create a state where you can enable people to kind of engage with their emotions and then see to what degree can they make sense of it? To what degree can they regulate them, influence them, right? And inspire them, instill them, evoke them. So, yeah, for me, this is important, like to give people contexts where they can explore about this instead of kind of feeding them with certain expert opinions. Although that's 
that's important to kind of kickstart and bootstrap the process. But the ultimate arbiter needs to be their own experience, right? Mm, yeah, and that we, that we don't necessarily know what you know the end product should be, which is why the factory model of education is failing because you know input output what's the output yeah i think we're beating a dead horse <laughs> we i think all of us kind of <laughs> know so far that you know there's something yeah so, that's that's a bit fucked well thank you so much Misha, and we're definitely doing this again i i'm gonna have my pleasure Thanks so many questions already me. amazing man yeah i appreciate this this conversation i hope you enjoyed that podcast we will be back again in a fortnight with part two and then part three, and then part four, where it's really heating up. Um, if you enjoy the content, subscribe on Substack to get a weekly email from me on a Thursday, two essays, two podcasts a month, uh, helping you think better to feel better, looking at philosophy as a martial arts of the mind. Pretty dope. Um, hoping to do some events in the future as well, webinars, bring people together in real life, which would be pretty cool, uh, rather than on the internet all the time. So definitely sign up, drop your email in, and if you ever want to email me back, you know, if you have comments, thoughts, feelings, reflections, um, I would love to hear from you. Uh, it's always great to start new conversations. So definitely reach out to me. All right, have a good one. Bye.